stop thinking it's unaccessible. The fact that user engagement signals power, you know, your rankings and your outcome means that everything that it's going to take to get a good outcome is within your control. So stop praying to the Google gods and start focusing on driving better user engagement metrics. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Confessions of a B2B Marketer podcast. And have I got a special episode for you today. We're joined by Nick Jordan, who is the founder and CEO of contentdistribution.com and cluster.ai. This is a SEO agency and a piece of SEO software that has been spun out of the agency. The growth is very good. We break down exactly how they get significant SEO results for their clients. And then we go into how he's built the agency and how he's building and growing the software. You're going to love it. Before we jump in, I have to give a shout out to Omega Draco, who says, as an avid user of Tom's SaaS platform, Bcast, hearing him speak in a straightforward and entrepreneurial approach, giving valuable insight and guiding startups to success is priceless. Thank you so much. If you have any feedback on the show, please go to Apple, leave a rating and review, and I'll get you a shout out on this show. One final thing, of course, you're probably aware this podcast is now sponsored by Hrefs Webmaster Tools. The product is insane. It's basically my homepage at the moment, or has been for the last six months. I use it to do three things. First is track when we get new backlinks. That is an amazing feeling. The second is to understand if there's any issues with the Fame or Bcast site. And then the third is obviously adding keywords into the tool to see how we are performing. All of those three things you can get 100% for free. You simply Google Hrefs Webmaster Tools. You go to the landing page. You will be able to get those three features for absolutely free. I highly recommend you do that, even if you're using some other SEO tool because it's free and because it's the best on the market. So with that, let's now jump in to this discussion with Nick. We're going to break down their approach to SEO, how he's grown the agency, and his approach to marketing the B2B agency and B2B SaaS product. Let's go. So Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to it all week. So let's start off first by understanding something you just said before we started recording, actually which was get a good outcome from SEO. You don't necessarily have to be super serious about it. So could you first elaborate on that? And then I'd like to ask you about SEO that you think most people disagree with. And it may actually be the same thing you already mentioned, but please elaborate. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to give your audience the hook to listen to the next 30 minutes because I'm going to talk about how we've grown four projects from zero to 100,000 organics a month without building backlinks or doing technical things. Google doesn't work the way that you think it does. And I think everything that you know about SEO could be a lie. So sorry, what was the question specifically? The first question is, you mentioned before we started recording why it's possible to get a good outcome from SEO without being super serious about it. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's 2021 and Google doesn't use backlinks as a primary ranking signal anymore. They use user engagement metrics like time on site, pages visited, bounce rate, and overall site engagement. And when you think about it, it would be pretty crazy if the world's most innovative big data company that also owned Google Analytics, Android, and Chrome wasn't that using that, that data to determine which page adds more value to a user than another page. So I actually think this caveats nicely into the next question I want to ask, and that is, 
what should most B2B marketers stop doing regarding SEO? Stop thinking it's inaccessible. The fact that user engagement signals power you know, your rankings and your outcome means that everything that it's going to take to get a good outcome is within your control. So stop praying to the Google gods and start focusing on driving better user engagement metrics. So when you say user engagement, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I can start to construct the post in a way such that it's going to entice someone to read all the way to the end. Or I can put some little like mini widgets on the page that people have to click to expand images, etc. Is that what you're talking about? You know, one of the easiest ways to increase the time on site and the number of pages visited is to write more words. You know, you have more opportunities for internal links, which will drive people to other areas on your website. Mm-hmm. And there's just more content to read. It really comes down our strategy. And, and by the way, we've taken four projects from zero to 100K, but our biggest is zero to 479,000, again, without building new backlinks. And our approach is that every page of content that we publish should be higher quality than any other page Google could show. And, and I think it really comes down to quality drives those user engagement metrics and Google measures quality with the metrics. Okay. So to summarize the first five minutes of this interview, SEO is easier than you think. You shouldn't spend all your time trying to hustle for backlinks and you should make sure the content is as good as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. One more thing, you want to scale up content production Mm. because you can't rank for a group of keywords until you have a page about that group of keywords. And when you're thinking about SaaS products, I feel like one of the the largest challenges SaaS products have is their great offerings with no awareness or consideration. And so the opportunity to get in front of your target audience is in a couple of keywords at the bottom of the funnel. It's keywords, it's hundreds and hundreds of unique pages of content all across the funnel. Got it. Now, scaling up, let's dig into scaling up content production because I have actually learned some stuff from your, you have a blog post on this. And you're essentially saying, because one of these really important points is that the quality of the content is so good, this place is important on the cost and quality of the writers you can hire or bring into your team. Could you share more about how you're finding these good writers for low cost? Yeah, definitely. So content is expensive because the people that are good enough to write good content, they could get paid to to do their job. So you're going to have to be competitive there. What I found where we have the best experience with B2B writers is approaching nomad communities on Facebook, Facebook groups. And what we see is there's a lot of talented people there who haven't quite made it yet, but they're pretty good at what they do. So they don't have enough deal flow. And so they're willing to, to create content instead of doing the marketing thing or the B2B thing that they really like to do. Presumably, if they're in different lower cost countries, they charge lower rates. That's correct. Yeah. There's a lot of... I'm out here in Thailand right now, and there's a lot of nomads in here in Bali that are not meeting their financial goals. The requirement to have a writer sitting in the same office as you is like so far away from reality now, I think. Maybe a year ago people would be like, yeah, you need your content team like sat next to the CMO. But right now, it's just ridiculous to believe that. I see. I talk to 50-person B2B companies that don't have dedicated content writing roles. To bring in a full-time content writer that sits in your office from Seattle. So that content writer needs to get paid $85,000 per year. And if scale is an important quality of crushing organic, then the lower my cost, the more content I can push for the same budget. I think because of how many unique opportunities there are to get in front of a a SaaS customer, 
I think content costs is a huge competitive advantage. If I can create 500 pages of content for, let's say, $50,000 or you know whatever, I'll have twice as much surface area as the guy who's paying twice as much. I, quite like, I think it's quite interesting how you um, describe that surface area because it basically is happening, right? If you have a blog with 40 posts, you can think about that as a, almost a tree and the, the, the trunk is the forward slash blog URL. And then you have this surface area of the tree spreading out. And so if you have 40 versus 400, obviously the 400 has a greater branch span and or surface area. So I like that analogy. But Nicholas, I want to go back and ask you about engagement again, because I feel like this is a big thing. This is a big opportunity and you only gave us one way to uh, increase engagement. So are there other things that you're doing or that you recommend clients do boost time on page or the other metrics that you think are crucial? Yeah. So the user engagement metrics that are considered good are, you know, it's highly dependent on the keyword that you're trying to rank for. And so there's no like absolute scale of what's a good bounce rate or what's a bad bounce rate. It's simply in the context of the other pages that Google could show. So people are always like, hey, Nick, what should I do? And I say, go look at the first page of search results. Go open up each page that's ranking in a new tab and then set out to create a better piece of content that Google could show for the keywords you want to rank for. And so that means it's more comprehensive. It has more H2s. It has more pictures. It has more words. It has more internal links. It has more external links. Just go all out and try and beat everybody and everything. Sure. So there's even necessarily one set of things or one thing you can do is really a holistic approach to creating better content. Yeah, and I think your audience is smart and they just need a framework for approaching it and they'll be able to fill in the little tiny details. Sure. Okay, let's try and make this a little bit more specific and actionable then. So you mentioned these four to five case studies where you've taken people from nothing to 100K or 400K organic sessions. Could you choose one? I don't mind which one. And can you just break down like how you started, what you did, and then more details on the results? Yeah, why don't we talk about, there's, I think, two B2B ones I can talk about. They're a little bit smaller. They're less ambitious, but the, it was the same strategy and they got a pretty decent result. Are you familiar with a brand called AnyLeads? Not now. So AnyLeads is like a, a lead generation tool that like does cold emails, does some stuff on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, when people think, especially non-SEO, is they think about SEO, they're like, oh, I want to rank for like LinkedIn automation or cold email outreach. But really, there's the way that people evaluate products is they don't consider every possible product in the category. They just pick a couple that they're familiar with. Maybe their friends recommended. Maybe they found the brand on a Google search. And that's where I focus. And if you look at something like AnyLeads that does some LinkedIn automation, the person that would probably buy that LinkedIn automation is probably also searching for LinkedIn profile examples and LinkedIn headline examples in LinkedIn in-mail examples, in searches that indicate they're trying to use their LinkedIn profile to grow their business or grow their network or something of that capacity. Yep. Does that make sense on how basically it's less... you Ranking at the bottom of the funnel is important, but if your whole strategy is dependent on those one or two landing pages and those one or two landing pages don't rank, your SEO campaign is delivering no value. Mm. But if you go all across the funnel and try and be everywhere your target audience is looking, you take a lot of shots on target. If your implementation is good, you'll rank more often than not. And you can touch people everywhere they look. So to clarify, here the, 
the term or the target audience is defined by the willingness someone is showing to use their LinkedIn profile to grow their business. And so any term that shows that someone is trying to do this, for example, in male examples, though it might not be directly, it might not be further down the funnel, e.g. it doesn't show they definitely want the use of LinkedIn automation, it shows that they could be someone who would use LinkedIn automation and therefore it's worth creating content around that term. Exactly. Basically, everyone who's using LinkedIn automation is looking to grow their business on LinkedIn. And so if you're also looking to grow your business on LinkedIn, there's a good chance that you might be interested in LinkedIn automation. Makes sense. So this, so this is the first step someone needs to take before embarking on any SEO campaign is who are the people that could buy our thing and what are the keywords that show that that's the right person? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like another great example is I was working on this it's kind of like an influencer platform, but it's for brand ambassadors. So people who are already your existing customer. And they were like, yeah, I want to rank for brand ambassador software. But when we looked at the opportunity, there's all these other ways that brands that want to run brand ambassador campaigns are searching for how to start a brand ambassador campaign. They're searching for brand ambassador contracts. They're searching for top fitness brand ambassadors because they're trying to get intel on their competitors. And if we just focused on that bottom of the funnel, it could burst the highest, but we'd probably lose out on 75% of our conversions because the top is just so much broader. Got it. So it's almost like this is the most important part, right? Because once you have those keywords that are slightly higher at the funnel and we know would the person searching for them would potentially buy, the rest is basically create amazing content for those keywords, right? That's basically it. But I want you, if possible, to break that down a little bit more, e.g., where did you find the writer for this or writers for this project? And then was there anything else you did before publishing the content and then anything else you did after publishing the content to get the results? Okay. So when I approached any leads, this was one of my first projects as a consultant after leaving an SEO agency that I worked for. And I'm not like a technical guy. Like I don't understand what schema is. I barely can wrap my head around canonical and redirects. I can't fix a, a slow page. I can just run it through the is this page slow tool. I also haven't been in marketing very long. I was a sales guy up until, until three years ago. And despite all these things, you know, I was able to create these great outcomes. And so I really do think that what we're discussing here is very accessible for anyone who is, thinks organic could be a great channel. It starts with creating the buyer persona. You just cover that. The next part is figuring out how people are searching across the entire funnel. And we'll use a tool like Ahrefs. And this will help us expose tens of thousands of keywords that our audience is searching for. And then we're going to use a tool like Cluster AI. And Cluster AI basically automates the keyword research process using data from Google. It examines the Google SERPs, it compares the results, and it, it groups keywords that can rank together together. Completely abstracts SEO skills away from keyword research, and, and you can do world-class keyword research with no SEO skills. So. After that point, then we do a cost estimator. So Cluster AI gives us the main keyword, every variation of the main keyword, and the total search volume that page can capture. And then we do a model to see, all right, is this campaign viable? What does a good outcome look like? What does a mediocre outcome look like? And what does a, a bad outcome look like? And assuming it passed the Sandy chest, you know, we go out to all the Facebook groups for nomads. There's one for every city and country around the world. And we post job ads, we find people that would be a good fit. And then we set them up for success. What I found is that writers are not just like inputs. You can't just like hire a bunch of writers and get a bunch of content. 
there's so much room for interpretation and implementation and bias and experience that the more work you can do around delivering them research up front and standardizing and, and creating guidelines and processes, uh, the more consistently good content you'll get. So we create something that's called a content series template. Basically, it's like, all right, you're writing about SaaS metrics or you're writing about ambassador programs. Here's the top resources in the space. Here are the minimum quality standards that you need to hit. Here's how to do research for the topic. Here's the H2s we want you to use. Here's some H2s that are optional. Here's how to find more H2s. And we kind of give them a framework to create good content without having us having to create every outline for them. Makes total sense. How do you judge the performance of the writers? You know, I'm a native English speaker. I read content. I create content. I feel like I have a pretty good idea of who's good and who's not. My editing team would probably disagree and they'd probably say I'm it's way more complicated than I just made it sound. Yeah, okay. But so you have an eye. And then I guess you can, from that eye or from that idea that you have, you can make a, a list of criteria and then you can pass that criteria on to other people who may need to judge right quality in the future. Yeah, definitely. You know, I have a pretty like extensive background and so I just know a little about a lot and I can tell if something sounds good. But if it's something super complex and technical, it gets a little bit more... I guess you wouldn't be a founder if you didn't know a lot about the subject. So Got it. Okay, so we defined the, the broader keywords. We've found cheap but good writers. We've set the writing guidelines. What happens next in this specific case study? Then the writers go in and they, they start writing. And again, they don't need to know SEO. In fact, the ones that do, avoid. You want to hire the people that create the best content and just let them do their thing. They need to hit a certain amount of internal links, a certain amount of bullet points, a certain amount of lists and tables and pictures and images and H2s and stuff like that. But besides that, just focus on content quality. And then after that, you get it back and you, you do revisions. And depending on how your editing team up, your editing editor will either do a lot of revisions, if it's someone else, or if it's you, you'll, you might do less revisions and seek to work with writers that don't require such extensive feedback. But at some point in the process, things get optimized. And the editors come in and they use the cluster AI deliverable to optimize the page. So the main keyword equals the URL. If there's spaces in the main keyword, then it turns into dashes. So domain.com slash main dash keyword. The main keyword goes in the meta title, it goes in the meta description, and it goes in the H1. And then variations of the main keyword go across the H2s and the H3s in the content. So an example would be if the main keyword is SaaS metrics, in one of the H2s, instead of saying SaaS metrics for the 10th time, you might use a variation that's SaaS KPIs. And so you'll just simply cycle through all the variations cluster AI found throughout the content and, and then do it a bunch of times. And that's literally it. Like That's the whole strategy is just high velocity, high quality content. Awesome. And there's nothing else. So after everything's optimized on the site, you leave the post and you move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. Our post-publishing optimization process and actually could be a lot stronger. But our approach to Google means that we never have time to circle back. Every In general, every single week and every single month, our projects are setting new all-time highs. And when we're evaluating the performance of the project, it's always in the context of the entire site and not any individual page simply because we're potentially covering hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of opportunities. Makes sense. For me, it seems like the real magic here in this SEO strategy that is generating such great results is the ability to get good and cheap writers. 
Do you think that's the most important part of this process? I think it's one of the most important parts, yeah. If you're like the content cost for a content writer, like in Austin or Seattle, it ends up being like five to seven hundred dollars per page. And that you just can't produce much content if that's your content cost. And roughly like I know it varies, but with one of your very good nomadic writers, are we talking like a hundred, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars? It'd be about one fifty to two hundred for twenty five hundred words or three thousand words. Awesome. This is the secret sauce, I think, for everybody listening. But now, Nick, I, I want to talk more specifically now about your business. Mm-hmm. So the first of which is how you're using the strategy or how you're using SEO to generate customers, both for the agency, but also you mentioned cluster. How are we using this strategy to generate your own customers? So we're actually, our strategy is, is best servicing companies that are bigger than us. Right now, we're working with like, a project backed by Peter Thiel and Justin Horvitz to just raise a $12 million Series A. And then we're also working with a company run by someone on the Forbes 20 billionaire list. And these are all much bigger companies than us. So are you saying that you haven't tried to use this strategy to get customers or is it just even so relevant because the business isn't big enough? For the consulting business, we don't need any more business. And for cluster AI, SEO is some of the most competitive keywords on the internet. So we've used SEO for ourselves and our own projects, some of which we've ended up selling, but we haven't done it for cluster AI or for the agency specifically. Makes sense. What has worked to get clients for the agency? For the agency, I can attribute every single dollar of revenue to social, organic social. Cool. Can you uh, elaborate on that? E.g. the platform or the strategy? Yeah. Yeah. So LinkedIn, Facebook, on Facebook, you need to join all the relevant groups, start engaging, connecting. Same thing on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, though, the algorithm is based off of how much effort you put in. And so if you don't put in 30 minutes of day of engaging, commenting, connecting, DMing, etc., LinkedIn won't show your, your content to other people. And I think SEO is a very crowded space. But for me, it's very easy because most SEOs don't have any kind of B2B experience. I think most SEOs became SEOs because they didn't want to wake up in the morning and drive to work. And so our messaging really sets us apart, right? Our name is content distribution, not seoagency.com. We talk about outcomes instead of canonicals and deliverables. And we focus on our fat graphs because ultimately the people that we want to work with, the founders and the CMOs and the VPs of marketing do not care about any of the individual things that happen within an SEO. They care about the outcome that it can create for the company they work in. And I think that all really resonates with our target audience. Makes sense. I also think that your content strategy ties in with the way you're getting clients at the moment, e.g. the organic social, because you do have these extensive SEO case studies on your site, which I assume some people will be clicking through and reading after engaging with you on social and then being like, oh yeah, these guys clearly know what they're doing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the consulting business drives the SaaS revenue because it's basically proof. Now, I said I didn't use SEO to drive business for cluster AI and content distribution. That's true. We're creating a third brand. And we're going to start working on products. We're going to start building products for remote teams. In 2020, our consulting business grew from 1 to 25 people. And this year, we'll grow from 25 to 75 people this year. And I like talking about like culture and processes and systems and growth a lot more than I do canonicals and 301 redirects. And so when we create these products for remote teams, 
SEO is one of our core acquisition strategy, and we'll be publishing over a thousand pages of content for this project. So I think it's, I just wanted to clear that up on why we're not doing it for an SEO tool. Got it. Okay. So let's focus back on the consulting and the SaaS business for now. Which came first? Definitely the consulting. And when did this start? So it started in, in the beginning of 2019. I just left the agency that I was a part of, and, but it really didn't get going until maybe I hired my first team member in June that year. And we didn't make another hire until you know, the beginning of 2020. Uh, was that team member a writer? Yep. So they started off as a, a writer, then they went to editor, content manager, project manager. Now they're in a director of operations role running the entire company, almost. Awesome. And in the employee figures that you state, does that include freelance writers or are they all full-time resources? That's all uh, full-time. No, there's no contractors in that number. Okay. So you guys have gone from just two of you middle of 2019 to 25 now at the start of 2021. Yep. And we'll we have enough business to hit 75 this year. Awesome. And then let's talk about the introduction of the SaaS product. How and why did that happen? Actually, the truth is, is that this product idea was developed at my prior agency and they didn't want to build it. But I had come to depend on it to deliver SEO outcomes. I actually don't know how to do manual keyword research anymore. And I think if this tool went away, I'd, I'd probably go out of business. But they invented this tool, they launched it internally, and then we talked about taking it to market and, and they ultimately didn't want to. And so when I left, I ended up spending a, about a year in development before it went live. So did they give it to you? I paid them for consulting to help build it. Oh, awesome. So they didn't want to launch it. So you essentially started it yourself, but then paid them to consult on how to build it. Correct. Awesome. So you're using this in-house, right? And it's an advantage to the agency because it enables you to do keyword research faster and better. When you look at our organization, outside of me, who just entered the SEO industry, there's only one other person who knows SEO, our SEO director. And he came on board a couple of months, way after we delivered all the outcomes. I think this tool is really critical in enabling us to allow 25 people who don't know SEO to create such good outcomes. Why did you decide to release it on a sign? I'm a SaaS guy. Like I spent my whole career in SaaS. Services is new for me. And I like products and funnels and scalability and pricing models and all the stuff that comes along with SaaS. Uh, it's just like identifies as a SaaS entrepreneur, not as an SEO. And out of the 25 people in the organization, how many are focused on the SaaS? One, there's only one full-time person on the SaaS. It's a marketing manager. Our director of SEO also acts as a product manager and engages with our outsourced, outsourced dev team. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And so now Cluster is it's a standalone product, but from my research, it still sits on the content distribution domain. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And we've grown to a, a three users in the last four months including like CarMax and CXL and Thinkific and Fiverr. Do you have plans to upsell the services to those businesses? We have more services revenue than we can handle. We don't have time to do it. And so you, the plan is to transition the free users of uh, Cluster.ai to paid users, right? Yeah, so we have a 12% upgrade rate. So of the visitors that hit our landing page, about 38% convert into a free trial user, which is super high. and then. From the free trials, 12% convert into a paid subscriber. So you have 120 paid subscribers. Oh, yeah, a couple, a couple more than that, but exactly. Awesome. And so your personal focus, is it split between the two, the agency and the SaaS? Yeah, yeah. In this third set of products we're you know, launching. Oh, yeah, of course. So I, I don't do like, I don't push the work forward anymore. 
where I really focus on is like enablement and support and like communicating my framework for decision makings and helping people work cross department and more of a mentorship than pushing individual things forward, which is actually, it's sometimes can be frustrating because I can't move things as fast as I'd like. Yeah. And so now moving on to the third set of products. So we have the SEO agency, the SEO SaaS, and then you're also building software products for remote teams. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So our remote team relies on like 65 plus products. And we feel like because of the consulting growth, going from 1 to 25, and this year, 25 to 75, we've developed this authentic thought leadership that can't be replicated. And I really like what someone from CXL said. He said, in a crowded marketplace, the only thing you have is your messaging. And so when we're talking about remote work, something our competitors can talk about because they're just a handful of engineers. The software is more scalable than services. So you're going to be, just help me understand, you're saying there's 65 different software tools that you guys are using internally. And you're building variations of those or competitors to those to release publicly. Yeah, some of those, especially around Slack apps. Cool. Can you just give us an example of one? Yeah. So we use a, a Slack app called Geekbot and it does asynchronous standups. It just basically checks in with each team member and says, yo, X, Y, Z, and they fill it out. And it kind of reduces the amount of standups that our team takes. But our kind of our strength as an organization is in marketing and audience development. And when I look at the way that I buy Slack apps, the way it happens is I read a piece of content marketing, they promote their app, and I go, I didn't know I could do that. And then I download the app, and I'm still paying for it 14 months later. So this is a strategy that you're going to be using to sell yours? Yeah, I'm going to work on building the largest like HR and like early stage founder remote work community on the internet through organic search, through Facebook groups, and through our email list. Makes sense. Why not just keep building the SEO agency and SaaS product? I was just talking to a friend who's like, Nick, when most people crush it like you have, they want to keep on crushing it. And for me, I don't have any affinity for the SEO space. Like, I'm from Seattle. I worked in SaaS my whole life. I identify, I want to hang out with SaaS founders, identify with as a SaaS founder, have affinity towards SaaS founders. And, and that's who I want to spend my time talking to. I think I'll be successful in whatever I do. And so it's just a matter of what that is. Well, yeah, if you're going to be successful in anything, then yeah, you should choose the thing that you most want to do. (laughs) I don't know. Like the way that I view every single role that I take is whether I'm successful or not, or whether I get rich or not, I'm going to learn the skills and meet the people to do something bigger next. And when I look at what I've done with Cluster AI, and I went from zero to a thousand free trials in, in five months and for 100 paid subscriptions and, and over 10K per, I think it's just a warm up. I think we have the systems in place to do it, but even bigger. Sure. Okay. Final question. And this want to break down the, the current team makeup of content distribution and cluster.ai. So it's currently 25. There's you, there's the FEO director, there I assume there's account managers. And who else do you have in that team? Yeah. So I, I, the organization is 25 people, but I only have, I think, three direct reports. I have our growth marketing manager on Cluster AI, I have our director of SEO, and I have our director of operations. And the director of operations runs the entire content team. She has the, our recruiter reporting to her and our people ops. She also has the executive editor. And the executive editor runs the editing team. We have about six editors right now, and I think about 15 or 18, something like that, writers. There's one editor for every three writers. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the whole team. 
Awesome. So there are full full time writers in the team of twenty five. That's correct. Makes sense. Okay. Awesome. Nick, I want to thank you for being so open, and I can tell by the way that you're talking that you are literally sharing everything. And the content distribution story is super interesting because of the way that you guys are not necessarily SEO experts, but you manage to produce such awesome results. And then that leads on to this awesome. It's like an innate sales message. It's like the success of the agency is an innate sales message for the software. So I really like how you've done that. Obviously, the growth is awesome. And I look forward to seeing what you're able to do in the uh, remote work HR space in the coming couple of years. Thank you so much. I had a great time sharing what I know. And if you want to continue to learn more about SEO, go to contentdistribution.com, sign up for our email list, join our group, SEO Content Marketing, and you'll hear about our, our remote work stuff in the future. Amazing. All of those links are below, by the way, oh, in the description of this episode. Nick, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Tom, thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Quite an interesting one. Nick is an interesting guy. And I think was very honest and very open about how he's growing the business, both the SaaS and the agency, which is super relevant for me and ideally relevant for you listening. So of course, if you have any feedback, go to Apple, leave a rating and review. I read all of them. I'll get you a shout out on the show. And of course, I want to thank you for listening.